Chapter Twenty Two of A Man of Honor by George Carey Eggleston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two, Mister Sharp Does His Duty. The law firm of Steel, Flint and Sharp was a thoroughly well constituted one. Its organization was an admirable example of means perfectly adapted to the accomplishment of ends. It was not an eminent firm, but it was an eminently successful one, particularly in the lines of business to which it gave special attention, and the leading one of these was collecting doubtful debts, as Cousin Sarah Ann had learned from one of the firm's cards which had fallen in her way. Indeed, it was the accidental possession of this card which enabled her to put the matter of Robert's indebtedness into the hands of New York attorneys, and I suspect that she would never have thought of doing so at all but for the enticing words, fairly printed upon the card, Particular attention given to the collection of doubtful debts due to non-residents of New York. A prophet, we know, is not without honor, save in his own country, and so it is not strange that the people who familiarly knew the countenances of the gentlemen composing the firm of Steel, Flint, and Sharp, esteemed these gentlemen less highly than did those other people, resident outside of New York, who could know these counselors at law only through their profusely distributed cards and circulars. Such was the fact and as a result it happened that the clients of the firm were chiefly people who, living in other parts of the country, were compelled to entrust their business in New York to the hands of whatever attorneys they believed were the leading ones in the metropolis. And it was to let people know who were the leading lawyers of the city that Messrs. Steele, Flint, and Sharp industriously scattered their cards and circulars throughout the country. Who Mr. Steele was I do not know, and I am strongly inclined to suspect that the rest of the world, including his partners, were in a state of equal ignorance. He was never seen about the firm's offices, and never represented anybody in court, but he was frequently referred to by his partners, especially when clients were disposed to complain of apparently exorbitant charges. Mr. Steele cannot give his attention to a case, sir, for nothing. His reputation is at stake, sir, in all we undertake. I really do not feel at liberty to ask Mr. Steele to authorize any reduction in this case, sir. He gave his personal attention to the papers. His personal attention, sir. And this would commonly send clients away suppressed, if not satisfied. Mr. Flint was well enough known. He managed the business of the firm. It was he who always knew precisely what Mr. Steele's opinion was. He alone, of all the world, was able to speak positively of matters concerning Mr. Steele. Mr. Sharp was his junior in the firm, though considerably his senior in years. For Mr. Sharp, Mr. Flint entertained not one particle of respect, because that gentleman was not always what his name implied. Mr. Sharp, left to himself, would have been hopelessly honest and straightforward. 
he would have gone to the dogs speedily mr flint said but for his association with himself but you have excellent ability in your way sharp excellent ability he would say when in a good humor you are a capital executive officer a very good lieutenant your ideas of what to do in any given case are not always good but when i tell you what to do you do it sharp i always know you will do what i tell you and do it well too mr sharp usually came to the office an hour earlier than mr flint did in order that he might have everything ready for mr flint's examination when that gentleman should arrive he read the letters drew up papers and was prepared to give his partner in each case the facts upon which his opinion or advice was necessary on the morning of december third mr flint came softly into his office and after hanging up his overcoat and warming his hands at the register went into his inner den saying as he sat down i'm ready for you now sharp mr sharp arose from his desk and entered the private room with his hands full of papers what's the first thing on docket sharp well here is a collection to be made debtor robert pagebrook temporarily in the city boarding place not known writes for the newspapers so i can easily find him creditor edwin pagebrook of something courthouse virginia debtor got creditor to cash draft for three hundred dollars draft protested debtor came away and promised to take up paper by fifteenth november hasn't done it instructions push him any limitations no what have you done nothing yet i'll look him up today and dun him yes and let him get away from you sharp do you know that julius caesar is dead certainly i'm glad to hear that you do know something then don't you see the point in this case go and make out affidavits on information this fellow robert what's-his-name is a transient and we'll get an order of arrest already and then you can dun him with some sense have your officer with you or convenient and if he don't pay up chuck him in jail that's the way to do it never waste time dunning transients when there's a ghost of a chance to cage them well but there don't seem to be any fraud here the man seems to have had funds in the bank only the bank suspended sharp you'll learn a little law after a while i hope don't you know the courts never look very sharply after cases where transients are concerned how do we know he had money in the bank is there anything to show it no i believe not well then don't you go making facts in the interest of the other side let him make that out if he can you just draw your affidavits to suit our purposes not his go on to state that he drew a certain bill of exchange and represented that he had funds 
and so fraudulently obtained money and all that, and then go on to say that his draft upon presentation was protested, and that instead of making it good he absconded. Be sure to say absconded, Sharp. It's half the battle. Courts haven't much use for men that abscond and then turn up in New York. Make your case strong enough, though. We only swear on information, you know, so if we do put it a little strong, it don't matter. There, go and fix it up right away, and then catch your man. A few hours later, as Robert Pagebrook sat writing in his room, Mr. Sharp and another man were shown in. Mr. Sharp opened the conversation. This is Mr. Pagebrook, I believe? Yes, sir. Mr. Robert Pagebrook? Yes, that is my name. Thank you. My name is Sharp, of the firm of Steel, Flint, and Sharp. That's our card, sir. I have called to solicit the payment, sir, of a small amount due Mr. Edwin Pagebrook, who has written asking us to collect it for him. The amount is three hundred dollars, I think. Yes, here is the draft. Can you let me have the money today, Mr. Pagebrook? I have already remitted one-third the amount, sir, said Robert, and I hope to send the remainder in installments very soon. At present it is simply impossible for me to pay anything more. "'Have you a receipt for the amount remitted?' asked the lawyer. "'No, it was sent only yesterday. But if you will hold the draft a week or ten days longer, I will be able, within that time, to earn the whole of the amount remaining due, and your client will advise you, I am sure, of the receipt of the hundred dollars already sent. "'We are not authorized to wait, sir,' said Mr. Sharp. "'On the contrary, our instructions are positive to push the case.' "'But what can I do?' asked Robert. "'I have already sent every dollar I had, and until I earn more I can pay no more.' "'The case is a peculiar one, sir.' It has the appearance of a fraudulent debt and an attempt to run away from it. I must do my duty by my client, sir, and so this gentleman, who is a sheriff's officer, has an order for your arrest which I must ask him to serve if you do not pay the debt today. Let him serve it at once, then, said Robert. I cannot pay now. End of chapter 22